Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Deer Gear Podcast. Today's episode, I'm joined by Chad Sylvester, owner of Exodus Outdoor Gear. Today, we're talking about what in the world is Dorge, Huang, and Firenock talking about. So I've had Dorge kind of co-hosting this podcast for a handful of weeks here, and he's been teaching us a ton about arrows and archery in general. So we're talking a little bit about what we learned what is Dorge teaching us? So Dorge is like the smartest man in archery and sometimes he's a little bit hard to follow. Chad and I have been paying very close attention to what Dorge is talking about because Dorge has some really good information to share with the archery world and it's something to pay attention to. Whether you fall on the opposite end of the spectrum as him or not, it's still good information to uh, just educate yourself on. So in today's episode, I'm kind of just taking the simplest form of what Dorge has taught me and just translating. So I've had some people kind of ask me like, what the heck is going on here? What's, what's he, what's he teaching us? So hopefully this episode helps you guys out. If you're enjoying this content, please, please, please leave me a written review on uh, iTunes, or you can now leave ratings on Spotify. Helps us out a ton with reaching new people. Without further ado, let's get into the conversation with Chad and I talking about arrows. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Deer Gear Podcast. Today, Chad's joining me, and we're going to dumb down what Dorge Huang of Firenock has been teaching me <laughs> over the last, I don't know, 10 or so episodes of, of spending time with him. He is by far the smartest man I've ever had a conversation with yeah. in my entire life, and a lot of the information that he is providing and he's really excited to provide, he's not able to communicate it to the average Joe that well. So we've done our best on those podcasts to bring in Dave Murray to kind of dumb down the stuff too. But Dave is also kind of another level above the average Joe. So you call me a, a (laughs) no, call me dumb or what? (laughs) I'm, I'm saying I'm the, I'm the average Joe here and you're able to communicate to the average Joe because you've been doing it for Sure. Seven years through trail cameras. Yeah. Well, the one thing I think to keep in mind, you know, when everyone is listening to Dorge and like some of the physics stuff, you can make this stuff as complicated or simple as you want. Right. And, you know, Dorge's perspective is he's trying to get the most out of out of everything. If he can gain a half percent better performance or a one percent better performance, he's going to do it. Right. Um, so that's one thing to keep in mind. We've been killing whitetails with less than stellar or optimized equipment for a long time. So that's kind of one perspective. The other perspective is, um, you know, he's putting this information out there. We put information out there to four people who want to gain knowledge. Yep. You don't necessarily have to agree with that knowledge because there's a lot of different perspectives. But for folks who have a critical thinking process, for folks who want to understand what is going on, people who are intrigued by this stuff, um, I think it's good for them to listen. Even if they don't agree with it, they can they can take the opposite approach, and th- that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's important to kind of know both perspectives or both sides of um, both sides of the equation, I guess. Yeah, because w- everything that we've kind of found, found out is there's a happy medium for everyone. Correct. And the happy medium is probably where you want to live yeah. rather than being on – one end of the spectrum versus the other. Right. 
So the goal here today is to basically talk about what in the heck Dorge has been saying. So what what <laughs> matter like what break it down to what matters and put it in the simplest way. So I don't want to go too too in depth here, but I also don't want to just make it like super high level. We'll dive into a little bit. Okay. But um there's kind of two or three main concepts that are going to help explain what is going on with what he's doing. And the first being the his concept system, what he calls the Aero concept system. So right. A-E-R-O concept system. And basically, that is what is allowing him to stabilize the Aero faster than a normal Aero shaft. So let's talk Correct. a little bit about what that is and how it works. Yeah, sure. Um, well, I think to start talking about the, the front end of the arrow, right? Every arrow has a, a, what George calls a node. This is, yeah, we should start here. Yeah. That node, when you think about, um, the flight of an arrow, like after the work has been applied to the arrow shaft, the arrow shaft is doing a bunch of different things. Like there's, um, there's torsion, there's oscillation. The node is the point where all those kind of forces, if you were to draw this out on a board, it would look like a, like a fish, fish. right? And I'm sure George has probably used that analogy, but all those uh, different forces are kind of coming together at that point where there's no or minimal movement in that arrow shaft. And that's, that's the node, right? Uh, the important thing is that that node sits on your rest. Like that's the only portion of your arrow that should be touching your rest when to you're optimize. At when you're at full draw. Yes, yeah, when you're at full when, draw. When you're f fully drawn back, and where the point of your arrow is hitting your arrow rest, that should be the node of the arrow. Correct. And to accomplish that without the arrow concept system is really challenging. Yeah, so on a on a normal shaft, no um, manipulation on the front end of that arrow, that node, the spot, it's a spot, right? It's like a 16th of an inch or a 32th of an inch. I mean, a very, very tiny spot. So when you start thinking about arrow tuning and tuning your bow and the length of your arrow shaft, there is not much wiggle room there for for anything and you could take that a step further into you know i was talking to ryan springer about um torque tuning like when you apply torque mm -hmm. to your bow yeah. how you move your rest to kind of minimize the effect because the reality of it is we're not um hooter shooters yeah i mean none of us have a perfect shot sequence and there's probably only a handful of guys in the world that do um so torque tuning come come into play there but when you're moving your rest around and still trying to fit the node of the arrow on your rest it is it's damn near impossible. Yeah, it doesn't always line up. Right. So what what Dorge's concept is doing on the front end of the arrow is elongating that spot into um, a length. So you go from like a, a 16th to a 32 to, let's say, a three-quarters of an inch. So it's a lot more forgiving that that portion of your arrow is sitting on your rest. When you don't have the arrow concept system in the arrow, where does the node sit? It's always on the front of, front of your arrow. Maybe I don't. It's more. right when, without the arrow concept system. It's right behind your broadhead or your insert. Yeah. Yep. So it's right behind where the insert sits. How do you find the node of an arrow? If you're curious, if people are curious to wonder, yeah. like, is, is my note? Am I doing this right? How do you find yeah. it? There's a couple different ways. But you find it through like a vibration test, basically. Um, I think the easiest thing to do is to grab the back end of the arrow shaft by the knock and hit the front of the or the middle part of the arrow the middle part of the shaft 
like on something hard, like on a hard edge, like maybe a tabletop or a two by four or something, and then continuously work down towards the front of that arrow, and you'll find a dead spot or a dead area where there's no bounce or no vibration. That portion of your arrow is your node. Yeah, it's pretty incredible when you find it. Yeah. You take that knock and you bounce it off the table, and it's like boing, 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 dunk. Yeah. And it does not bounce back. Correct. That is the point. Mark it with a pen. Mark it with a marker. Right. Draw your bow back. If your marker is sitting on your rest, you're good. You're you're doing it right. Right. If you if it's not, that's something you may want to consider tuning to, to get uh, the optimal flight. So I don't. That's something that doesn't even. It's not necessarily. Uh, you don't have to use the arrow concept system. We're not telling you that. But Correct. It'll help your flight, regardless. Yes. So, but I don't. That's something I've never heard in my entire life talked about. The node. Yeah. Yeah. No. Didn't even know what it was. Right. So how he is elongating that node is he's taking a basically another arrow shaft mm-hmm. cut down to six inches and putting it inside the physical arrow shaft. Correct. So there's two carbon tubes there. Correct. What does that do to the arrow? Um, it's So it's forcing that arrow to react like a smaller or shorter arrow. So it, nearly five inches. So you can take, it's 80% of the length of the inner carbon tube. So if you take six inches times 0.8, you come up with 4.8 inches. So if you're shooting a, let's say you're shooting a 30 inch arrow, like we use me for an example, that arrow is reacting much more like a 25 inch arrow versus a 30 inch arrow. Um, So you get flight benefits from that with the arrow being able to recover faster because that node is elongated. the way that the back end of that arrow shaft moves and the front end. I mean, when the force, when the forces go through that node, there's also some movement on the, on the front as well. Um, all of that is minimized. So if you were to look like, I'm trying not to get too complicated here, but if you were to look at like on a, the wavelength of that, all of that stuff's shortened. Yep. So it's like having white, white peaks on the ocean, mm-hmm. super high waves versus like a, just a nice slow roll. Correct. That's wave. a good example. Yeah. So, um, the benefit, or what does that do to the spine of the arrow? Does that affect the spine of the arrow by putting that six-inch carbon tube in the middle of it? Well, it when you're, yeah, essentially it does. Um, so when you start looking at, like, well, I guess break this down into static spine and then dynamic spine. Like, static spine is how you're buying arrows. You're looking at how much point weight's added, what your draw length is, uh, what your draw weight is. Um, so you're purchasing arrows kind of based on those charts. There's a lot of a lot of charts out there. Um, but the static spine is just the amount of deflection in the arrow when you pl- place a 1.9, I think it's 9.4, yeah. 1.94 yeah. weight uh, in the middle of that when it's supported at 28 inches. When you look at the, the dynamic spine, it's really how the arrow is reacting to the force being or work being applied from your, from your bow is kind of the dy- dynamic spine. Um, so when you're, when you're applying that inner carbon tube, you're changing, you're changing both a little bit, right? Your shaft is getting stiffer. There's less, less movement up front. And then you're also changing the way that arrow is reacting in flight on the, on the dynamic side. So it's, it's doing both allowing your arrow to recover faster. Like that's the, that's the big thing here. All of this is it, this allows your arrow to recover faster and when it recovers faster you're able to carry more speed or more velocity downrange 
Yep, so you have less speed deprivation. You have less velocity deprivation, and in turn, what that does is create more, not create, creates the wrong word. It carries more momentum, and it carries more kinetic energy because when you look at those equations, velocity is a part of that, and when you're able to carry the velocity at a more efficient level, those numbers carry in a larger volume downrange. Yep. yep, so that that is the entire goal of the aero concept system. Correct. So outside of all the physics of it, the goal here and what that actually does is causes your arrow to recover quicker. So you hit equilibrium quicker. You have the tight elliptical spin yes. quicker. So you have less vibration in the arrow, stabilizing faster, saving more energy for downrange penetration. So everyone kind of thinks of their bows at IBO speeds, and that's the speed at launch. Correct. Measuring the speed at impact is really more important. Yes. So just to give some numbers here, the average um, efficiency energy loss at 40 yards is 39%. With Dorge's components, you take that down to like 8 or 9%. Right. So that's a giant difference. Yeah. And you're not gaining feet per second at launch, but you're gaining feet per second downrange. So your arrow is acting as if it has more feet per second. Correct. So that's really the goal with the arrow concept system is just a quicker equilibrium, tight elliptical spin, energy savings, no less vibration. Yeah. So along the arrow shaft, something else George talks about is the straightness of your arrows. Mm -hmm. And the this is something that kind of hits home for us with the content that we've done through trail cameras is the marketing jargon and the BS that people feed you with straightness of an arrow. So let's kind of yeah. just simply talk about that. Well, yeah, there's a, I, I think that there's a big misconception here and I've, I personally have bought into this over, I, I don't know, the last 10 or 12 years, probably since I've had enough money to make bigger purchases, like thinking that I'm buying the best gear available since I've had like financial capabilities of doing that I have purchased the straightest arrows that I could possibly buy thinking that that is what I need to be a better shooter I don't know any, I don't know anyone that hasn't right you know if you have the capabilities like we were were fed that those are better arrows right well I think when you talk about straightness too it's important to talk to separate shaft straightness and then like the build straightness because yeah. if you if you're if you're not squaring your arrows and you know, installing your inserts square to the shaft and properly installing your broadhead so that, that fits in square. Like, that is something totally different Yeah. than having, you know, a uh, .001,000s, one, one straightness out of an arrow shaft. Like, the build and the shaft, two separate, think of them as two separate things. And yeah, I think that's really important. We're just talking straightness tolerances through carbon arrow shafts. Correct. But there's... um. You know, there's a there's this misconception in that the arrow shaft itself needs to be as straight as possible to be more accurate. Um, and there's a couple things there to debunk that. Number one, the only there is no time your arrow shaft is perfectly straight once it's shot from your bow. Yep, it's ever. only only straight when you're at full draw and your that arrow is, is sitting on the node. That is it. That's the only that's the only time. And I know people are going to be like, well, wh what happens when I shoot through paper? You know, my, my shaft is going through the paper straight, and that's how we're paper tuning. 
that is at such a short distance, the arrow hasn't even reacted to the force yet. So if you were to take like a high speed camera and look at that stuff, like that explains, um, you know, what paper tuning is. It's just to make sure everything is square right on your bow. It's not, it's not telling you what your arrow is. If you were to paper tune at 12 yards, 15 yards, 30 yards, after you shot that bullet hole at, you know, at six feet or nine feet, it's a giant difference. And this is the problem I ran into last year. And I couldn't, I did not understand why paper tune. Everything's good. I step back to 20 yards and my arrows are hitting the target sideways. I'm like, what the hell is going on here? Um, but anyways, that, get, we're getting off topic a little bit. Uh, so when you start looking at the production of arrows, right, they're produced mass volume and the straightness tolerances are just the, there. A lot of companies are, are building, one arrow so that's the same production process it's the same material everything there is the same and when those when that production run gets done they're just batching those arrows based on straightness tolerance so they'll take you know one one thousands five one thousand five five thousands eight thousands and all of a sudden they just created three separate skews based on tolerance straightness tolerance to justify you know a premium price a middle price and then like a, a economy price we'll call it um but when you think about i'm sure there's people out there listening or watching that work in machine shops when you think about a thousands like one thou it's the size of a freaking human hair you're telling me that you have the ability to execute a shot consistent enough that a human hair is going to make a difference in where you where you where your impact like point of aim point of impact i can tell you right now i am not that good no i don't think 98% of shooters are or 98% of hunters are right that we're not hooter shooter devices we're not Levi Morgan we're not um crispy right. of the world um does it does it come down to an 100 yard shot if you have a 0.001 thousandths of an inch arrow or a 0.008 thousandths of an arrow yeah you can maybe say that there's a difference but is it yeah, justified sure. over the price difference I don't think so uh, for a hunter not yeah not not on the on the hunting side i think you know when you start doing some testing like i know that we're talking about going down with ryan and using his uh hooter shooter when you start spitting those arrows out of a machine like that at 100 yards you'll see yeah you'll see some you'll see some difference there but for for a hunting application number one most guys are shooting whitetails under 30 yards but even you're a western guy um you know headed west when you're effective range is 80 yards maybe like that that's kind of where i i like to be from last year like to be able to shoot 80 yards maybe push it maybe at 100 um you know you're shooting a basketball or or bigger you yeah. know if you're out elk hunting like you have a pretty big a pretty big target there for your vitals so again i'm not saying you're wrong for buying those you know one 1000 straightness arrows I'm just saying it's important to understand what you're buying. Like yeah. If you feel confident, a lot a lot of this comes back to confidence too. You have to have confidence in your setup. Uh, if you feel more confident in buying those arrows and shooting those arrows, buy them and shoot them. Like there's nothing wrong with that. But it's important to know what you're actually buying and how it's impacting um, your performance. Yeah. If you have a limited amount of resources available, money, mm -hmm. and you can either put money into either educating yourself on how an arrow should be built or buying the gear to properly build an arrow, or spend the money on a straighter arrow, you're better spending your resources on learning the process or buying the equipment to build a better arrow because it's more about 
how the arrow is built than the straightness of the arrow. You can make a .008 thousandths of an inch arrow fly just like a .001 thousandths arrow Correct. if it's built correctly. So, and I think one important, one important point to make and something that kind of like just hit me like wrong mm-hmm. is there's two things here. Number one, there's no standard measuring for how the, the manufacturers can say that they have this thousandth of an inch straightness arrow. Correct. There's no standard. Right. So you can measure it two inches of the shaft and say this portion right here is .00 thousandths of an inch. Zero, zero, zero. Right. That's on some arrow shafts. Yeah. And you can have another manufacturer measure 28 inches or 30 inches how it's supposed to be measured and come up with .005 and they're honest about it. Right. And you have this arrow shaft that actually that .000 at the full length shaft might have been .008. Yeah. So there's no standard there and that kind of just irks me. Yeah. And the manufacturing process can yield different results through different day after day. Mm-hmm. So if the environment is different, if the raw material has a little bit different quirk, Correct. if there's humidity in the air, you can get a .006 thousandths of an inch arrow that yesterday was a point zero zero one. So it's the same damn thing, right. you know, and it's, it just kind of irritating that you're paying more money for it yeah. because today it was not humid. Right. Um, I think one other important point there is if you're a guy out there with a shorter draw length, you have the ability to cut both ends of air, the arrow yeah. during that build and help your straightness tolerance. So yep. like for guys who refuse not to use a, you know, 0.006 or 0.008 uh, arrow, and you're shooting a 26 inch draw length, like cut both ends, and all of a sudden that thing gets a hell of a lot straighter. Yeah. So along that point, uh, something I want to touch on too with the length of your arrow, mm-hmm. and then kind of looking back at the node. Yes. What is the ideal arrow length there? <sighs> there's there's almost too many variables to to say like here's a a blanket statement. Because if you're shooting a big fixed blade broadhead, like you're probably going to want that, depending on how the broadhead is ori- oriented with um, your, your shelf and, your and the, yeah, the riser and shelf of your bow, like you might want that out in front of, of your hand, or at least not behind your hand. When you do that, the chances of you getting your node on your rest isn't it's not going to happen. Right. Um, so like we've gone through this in. For us, with the arrow concept system, we've talked to a bunch of different people about this. Like Jeremy, he likes to sh- make his arrows as short as he possibly can. So if your draw length's 28 inches, he's actually cutting his arrows 27 and a half inches. Yep. Put your components on, and you're a little bit shy of, of, of 28. What we found here in the, in, in the shop or in the office is somewhere between your draw length, maybe pushing it plus a half inch. And that's that's kind of that's kind of your window, but it really depends on what kind of broadhead you're shooting um, in relation to what you have going on with your bow. So, with knowing that your node is one of the most important things around your build for um, performance after the shot or during the shot, what I would do if you're a guy out there building your own arrows is build the front of your arrow, build the front end, find your node draw and see what you can cut off and still make everything work and build your back end, build your back end after. Yeah, that makes sense. So the back end of the arrow, Mm -hmm. this is another portion of Dorge's education that 
is pretty eye-opening with what he has going on there uh, on the component side for veins. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about drag, uh, the design of Dorge's veins, the airfoil technology, and the difference there, um, Sure. what that does for aeroflight. So the traditional blazer vein or the traditional uh, AAE veins, mm -hmm. they use drag mm -hmm. to control flight. What's the what's the base level gist of what's going on there? You're creating friction on the back end of the arrow to to stabilize it. So you're introducing a force, basically friction, and instead of that arrow doing this like that that oscillation that looks like a like a a big flower petal, you're you're making that smaller, but you're doing it through friction. Yep. Friction is going to reduce velocity yep so you have drag and a drag is what it sounds like yeah. you're dragging the speed down exactly so the dorge's arrow uh veins are they use a different type of technology called an airfoil mm -hmm. and basically it's just the way the arrow is designed the way that air moves through the vein mm -hmm. so it takes longer to go above the vein than it does under the vein correct and you have a phenomenon called lift Correct. Explain that quickly. Uh, well, it's I mean, you did a pretty good job explaining it. The force coming up because it's shorter is physically lifting that, that portion of the vein, causing your arrow to spin or make more revolutions per second. So it's spinning a lot faster, which, again, going back to that flower petal example, that's, that, that, that oscillation is minimized. So when that has – when you have a tighter – like we'll call it a pattern, okay? So when you have a tighter pattern um, – there's less variables like with your crosswind because the Dorge calls it the crosswind, crosswind signature. Um, but because that is sm that profile is smaller, there's less effect from any any type of crosswind. And the smaller that again the pattern, the, the smaller that pattern is, um, the less that back end of the arrow has to fight as it's you know as it's traveling, thus you know um, maximizing velocity again. And you also have a change in trajectory using yes, lift versus point. drag. So very good point. Typical arrow flight is like an arc. Yep. So you have the back end of the arrow lower than the front end of the arrow, and then it kind of flattens out, and then it just starts dipping back down. Correct. With the airfoil technology and using lift as the controlling portion of the arrow, you're you take off like a plane. Yes. And land like a plane, so your arrow is always flat, no matter what portion of the trajectory you're in. Yes. Understanding that that build is not heavy FOC. Like yeah. there, you don't have a super high FOC. That's somewhere eight, twelve percent, something like that. Um, you're gonna have flat or perpendicular trajectory to your target, which is important when you think about penetration. When you start thinking about momentum. And the way things penetrate, when you start to add different angles in, there's some. It gets really complicated. Yep. Um, but knowing that if you can, if you can hit a target or hit your object completely perpendicular, you're going to have the best penetration possible. And this is, Dorge explains it a different way, but it's the same thing. Like Troy Fowler and the Ranch Ferry, like he's 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 wanting to inform people the basically the same he's doing it in a different process but the concept is is really the same about yep. hitting your target perpendicular with perfect arrow flight you don't want your arrows turning sideways you don't want your arrows 
um, on an angle up or down. Like you want them completely straight, completely perpendicular to to your target. Yeah, and this uh, airfoil technology or using lift, no matter what distance you're shooting, it's always going to be perpendicular. So it's just going to be – just think of how a plane takes off and lands. It's like – right. and then lands flat. So you can shoot that arrow at 100 yards and go down there, and it's just going to be flat. Correct. So that's a pretty big benefit to using that. It is, especially when you get out to distance. Like you start talking, again, western hunting, and you're shooting 70, 80, 90, 100 yards. When you think about the difference in trajectory at 100 yards, typical setup, like that arrow is really dying off. If you if you misjudge yardage by two yards, maybe maybe it's only a yard, and all of a sudden like you're getting you're getting white hair, like it's a belly shot, right, yep. or brisket or or whatever the case is. As you start to flatten that trajectory out, now all of a sudden maybe it's a bottom heart shot. So there's a I mean again there's a a lot of complicated scenarios and variables that go into all this, but generally speaking, like those are the those are the benefits of flatter trajectory not only flatter trajectory because you can get that through speed on a other build but the flight path of that arrow with arrow concept and airfoil technology is pretty beneficial yeah that's the, the so the gist of the arrow concept is a quicker stabilization the gist of arrow concept or uh arrow veins mm-hmm. is flat trajectory and more um more revolutions. Yeah, more revolutions. Yeah. So your arrow is spinning faster. Correct. So. Which adds, again, gets complicated, adds rotational mass into, the, I mean, so I'm sure Dor just talked a little bit about that. It can increase your momentum. Yeah, it's going to it's gonna make the, the arrow itself more efficient. So um, I think we have to be careful using the word create because I think there's, there's when the when the arrow is shot out of your bow, it has X amount of momentum, like it's capped, right? right it's yeah. capped by the mass and capped by the velocity coming out of your bow. Um, so it's not creating more momentum, but it's going to lose less momentum downrange because, again, the efficiency. Sure. But compared to a blazer vein, it's creating yeah. more. Yeah. Because um, the difference with arrow vein 2 or arrow vein 3 versus a traditional blazer, the revolutions there, um, you go on a 40-yard or from 60 to 80 yards, the from that portion to that 20-yard distance, mm-hmm. the blazer rotates 12 times on average. The Aerovane 2 rotates like 120 times. Yeah, in that it's portion. something ridiculous. Yeah. And the Aerovane 3 rotates like 300 times Correct. in that portion. So that arrow spinning faster, you have more uh, rotational mass mm-hmm. giving you more momentum. Correct. So. Those are the two just there. So, uh, veins, arrow concept. Th- I just recorded a podcast with George talking about high FOC. We mentioned it here. So, I just want to, on a very high level, talk about the problems that you face with shooting high FOC. And then that's going to lead us into talking about the diameter of the arrow. Sure. So, high FOC is the bee's knees right now. It is. And we both dove down the wormhole, and I remember last year, I'm sitting there with a calculator thinking like, okay, and I'm like a mad scientist in there trying to get as much FOC as possible, going down the ethics insert system, Mm -hmm. adding a bunch of weight until my arrow acted how you're supposed to have an arrow act. What 
is Dorge talking about when he says he doesn't like a high FOC arrow for a modern compound bow? Yeah. Um, it goes back to the work being applied from your bow, like the power stroke of your bow and how like guys are shooting 80 85, 90% let off bows, which was me last year. I was shooting an 80 pound bow and 90% let off. Um, and the, again, going down the FOC kind of wormhole, um, you're doing some things there, which essentially you're weakening the spine of your arrow because there's so much weight up front. So imagine if you had like a little tiny needle and that needle was, I don't know, 20 inches long and there's a brick on the front of it, and you take a hammer and you hit the needle to move the brick. <laughs> it's like, I know that's a kind of a bad example, but it's just what kind of popped in my mind. Like, that needle's going to do all kinds of funky, wonky things. The brick might go straight, but the, yeah. that needle's going to be doing this because there's nothing on the on the, on the the tail end to, to kind of stabilize it. So that's essentially the, the problem with high FOC. Now, I, there's some scenarios where I think high FOC is good. Like, if you're a ground hunter, and you know a lot of your shot opportunities are going to be through brush or thick stuff, I think that having that weight up front to pull your arrow through that and not be, be deflected. Correct. I, I think that that's where, that's where, to me, that's where it, it benefits the most or the yeah. only the only benefit. But, like, in my example, an 80-pound bow, and even if I was shooting 80% let off, I couldn't go down – the, the high FOC route because I can't get an arrow with the right spine stiff enough, stiff enough to handle the work from my bow. Like just wasn't, just wasn't possible for me. I think the, the, the draw to high FOC, one of the draws to high FOC is when you think about momentum, momentum is related to mass more so than kinetic energy. So when you think about momentum and penetration, everybody, well, let me get my, let me get my mass up. An easy way to do that is to throw a 200 grain broadhead up front. Um, so you can you can go that route, but you don't have to go that route. There's, I mean, shoot a shoot a heavier arrow, a higher GPI. Um, you can do some things with inserts, what, whatever the case is. Add, you can add weight in the back end with lighted knocks. Um, so there's other ways to get your mass up other than just high FOC. The other thing, in my opinion, with FOC, like we talked about that uh, airfoil, the lift coming coming uh, out of those builds and having um, flatter trajectory like you're not gonna you're doing the opposite with high FOC you're making that thing almost shoot like a dart yep like where the front end like it's gonna it's a spear exactly a spear and uh, Troy Fowler uses that example with the javelin thing and that's the argument there with high FOC um, when they start talking about javelins bouncing and skipping off the ground he says oh you know, they rewrote the regulations in track and field to all javelin throws have to have a minimum FOC because they want those to penetrate in the ground. But think about that example. We are throwing something that is perpendicular or um, parallel to the ground, and you want it to impact perpendicular. Like, we want the opposite. exact opposite of that. We're, yep. sh we're shooting something that we want to be perpendicular to our target and stay perpendicular at impact. Yeah. So again, there's this isn't this isn't trad stuff like modern compound bows, and you think about the the extreme amount of work being applied to your arrow. Like look at that stuff on a high frame camera with the difference between like a ten 
percent foc build and a 20 percent foc build and watch what that arrow does man it's like it looks like it's gonna explode yeah so your oscillation increases um the arrow the arrow is not as efficient your crosswind signature is bigger the back end of the arrow that flower petal or that pattern that we talked about just elongated got bigger yep um and some of the stuff about adding playing with point weight is again to calm your arrow down is because you're losing speed you're shooting it at a much slower speed because of the mass that it makes your arrow calm down yeah you can do the same thing without losing the speed is 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 what what torch is getting at yeah so i'm gonna put this in like the simplest way as i possibly can with the force curve and when you're talking about applying work to the arrow yeah so all the ashby reports started from recurve traditional longbows the force curve on a longbow there's a zero percent let off if you're pulling 45 pounds you have 45 pounds holding when you let go it starts at 45 pounds and it drops to zero it's a flat line straight mm -hmm. line when you shoot a comp modern compound bow with 80 percent let off let's just use 70 pound bow you're holding 14 pounds when you let go it shoots to 70 it's like boom Shoots to 70. And then the curve plateaus. So mm -hmm. there's a duration of work applied. Correct. Your arrow has to have the ability to handle that duration. That's Correct. the point that matters. With a high FOC build, the back of your arrow cannot handle that force as well if the arrow was completely, like the 6 to 8% FOC is Dorge's ideal for that, for handling that workload. If there's... 14, 15, 16 feet, or 16%, the back of your arrow is just like a Twizzler. Exactly. And then what's that going to do for your flight? And Dorge said, like, a good, a good test for this is take that arrow, take that um, high FOC arrow, put a lighted knock on it, shoot it in slow-mo on your phone, and see where that light goes. Or put it on a long exposure and take a picture from the back and see where the light goes. Yeah. If your knock's there, where's your arrow? That's where your arrow, that's what the direction of the arrow is. And he said, then take uh, a rock or take something heavier or a magnet or something and put it on the back of your knock, like the very back of it, and then shoot it and see how that that knock doesn't move now. Straightens out. Yeah, because there, there's a more equal portion of right. weight there for it, it to recover. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, the argument is the high FOC, the, the weight up front pulls your arrow in a in a certain direction, right? So no matter, like we use that brush example. So if you're shooting through brush, the, air, the, the weight up front is going to pull through there without causing any deflection or um, the flight point of aim, point of impact stays stays consistent, right? And I, that's, I think that that's pretty true. But the amount of energy lost on the, on the back end is what, is what the concern is. There's that's a the way, negative. yeah, there's a way to, to have that without having super high super high FOC. Yep, and then I want to make one quick sup uh, analogy to the speed thing that you mentioned there. So the um, test kits that give you 100 grain, 125, 150, 175, 200 grain um, point weight. Mm -hmm. As you put that on, everyone's like, oh, man, as I add weight, I'm starting to shoot darts. I'm starting to shoot bullets. Take a NASCAR, souped-up NASCAR, and drive it at 200 miles an hour. And then drive it at 50 miles an hour. Which one was easier to drive? Yeah. Yep. It, as you slow things down, things 
start to become easier and more efficient. If you drive at 55 miles an hour on the highway, your gas efficiency is going to be its highest. If you drive at 80, it's not. Yeah. So every little thing. That's, yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I mean, every little thing that you do, pass like when at 80, at 80 um, miles an hour when you're driving, if you twitch the arrow a little or twitch your yeah. hands a little bit. You get a reaction at 55. You're just like cruising, right? So that's the analogy. That's that's what I was going to bring up when, when you have faster speeds, everything else matters more, right? right? So if you're torquing your bow, it's going to show. If your bow's out of time, it's going to show. If you know you have something going on with your anchor points, it's going to show. So even though we're talking about making your arrows more efficient. Like it will expose other flaws in your in your setup. Yep. So that's something to keep in mind. Yep. Slowing things down, mask your flaws, Correct. and then speeding things up, just enhance them. Correct. So that is a, a downfall either way. So however you want to be on that spectrum, if you like driving at fifty five, cruising, There's that's nothing wrong with it. Yeah, Sunday Sunday cruise. So a mixture of having a high FOC and a micro diameter shaft is in Dorge's. Um, mind the worst possible scenario for a modern compound bow so let's talk a little bit about the drawbacks to having a micro diameter shaft Mm -hmm. well i think the big thing with micro diameters and i've i've shot them for the last couple years um everybody's buying them because you when the common sense approach is because the shaft diameter is smaller that you'll have better penetration because there's less surface area to introduce resistance or friction in in the shot process and when you shoot at a target that holds true Um, but the thing to keep in mind is when we're when you're shooting at animals real living things if you have a sharp broadhead doing its job that is no longer no longer a factor because the entire shaft of that arrow is no longer meeting resistance it might hit a rib and then it might go through you know the left side might hit a rib and then it'll go through a lung and then the right side hits maybe touches a rib or goes through the hide, whatever that, you know, there's a lot of variables there. But the the point is, like, when you're shooting at a live animal, one, friction, it's not the same type of um, friction constant as shooting into a target because you have blood, there's, you know, there's liquid there, there's, you know, all, all that stuff. Um, so the thought of buying these things, microdiameter arrows, based on better penetration, I think is, again, one of the, one of those misconception things or, just uh, marketing jargon or whatever you want to call it. Um, when you think about the crosswind thing, again, the common sense approach is it's a smaller shaft. There's less surface area there, so there's going to be less influence by the wind on a crosswind, so they're going to fly straighter at distance. But this is where, like, when I first started hearing Dorge talk about this, and I've shot, even on my microdiameter shafts, I shot that aerovane twos on them but when you think about the oscillation process the node what your arrow is doing through the air after it's shot the shaft is no longer the top priority like when you think about this what is introducing the most amount of friction or drag or influence from crosswind it's your veins and if you're shooting a fixed blade broadhead it's, it's your broadhead so those oscillation patterns matter a hell of a lot more than the size of your arrow shaft. And I think those are the two big things where people, on this, again, on a surface level, a lot of people are buying those types of shafts because of that. Yeah. Now, when you start 
talking about material properties. And when you get into the physics portion where it gets really complicated, there's other things with wall thickness and transfer of transfer of energy and the use of energy and all of that stuff, which George has talked about. Um, I don't understand that in a as deep of a level as what Dorge does. But when you start looking at material properties and material science there, like there's no, it's pretty, it's not, it's non-subjective. Like it's, I mean, it's, it's chemistry it's in, in physics. Yeah. So I'm going to kind of try to dumb that down a little bit because I have a decent understanding of it, but I want to talk about the flight characteristics first of like using the one six, six in your crosswind signature and then having a two, four, six in your crosswind signature um, with or without arrow concept, the two, four, six arrow is going to have a low, um, smaller crosswind signature versus the one, six, six, because of the arrow flight characteristics. So that one, six, six has a really thick wall. Mm -hmm. The only way to get a small diameter shaft to have strength is to thicken the wall. Correct. It's the only way to increase the spine of the shaft is thicken the wall. When you have a thick wall there on that arrow, to flex it, you have to put a lot more force Correct. into it. So you are using more energy up, and that flexing process causes the arrow to move more. You have to flex it more to get it to stabilize. So your crosswind signature on your 166, the arrow is doing all kinds of stuff. Yeah, like on a, the flower pedal. On a 246 or a 300 even, the wall on those is thinner. You have to put less force in it to flex. So that wavelength that you're talking about, that wavelength is shortened up. So your crosswind signature, even though the diameter of the shaft is larger, it's moving less throughout the air, moving around less. Right. I think the only argument there is, and we we spit out a, a uh, we talked about this on Gear Gadget, which, you know, when you try to compress this stuff into five minutes, you can't really talk about it at any kind of, in any depth. But when you think about the work being applied to your arrow, so work forced over, you know, a, p a period of time, that is a, that's a constant, right? So the same amount of work is being applied to your 166 arrow, your 246 or 300 or 204, whatever, whatever you're shooting. So the only argument I have with any of that is, Yes, it takes more force to bend a 166. It takes less force to bend a 204 or a, a, a 246. But the same amount of work is being applied to each arrow shaft if it's being shot out of the same bow. Right. Um, again, that's where the arrow concept stuff comes into effect because when you're when you're doing that, in my mind, like when you're applying the same amount of force, in theory, and again, I, I'm could be misspeaking on this but when the same amount of work is being applied to a thinner wall shaft you should have more deflection there because there's the, the force is the same um it takes less amount of work to to bend that arrow um so and you would think that without the arrow concept there would be more oscillation more torsion because the same amount of force is being applied or the same amount of work is being applied so when you introduce the arrow concept again it, it minimizes all that yeah and the um, the negative to the 166 or the micro diameter is that wall thickness portion, and then you have the memory elasticity effect, and that's why it flexes more, right? Because of the the wall thickness there. So there's there's like you said, there's a lot of physics there that I can't quite grasp. Yeah. Totally, 
but just shoot them for yourself. Shoot shoot yeah. a one six six, and put a lighted knock on it. Watch the flight characteristics, and then shoot a two forty six. Yeah, and watch the flight characteristics. I think from a hunting perspective, I all most of us. And I say most of us. I'm lumping everybody in into a majority, which I know I shouldn't do, but there's more people that care about penetration, point of aim, and point of impact over flight characteristics. Oh, yeah. Um, there's not a whole lot of people. I mean, you have the one percenters, the target archers. You have all those guys that, you know, are, are into that. And I think that's why the 166 is, is, is so popular because people weren't thinking about characteristics of flight. They're thinking about, oh, I want better penetration. I want, be- I want, um, I want less effect from crosswinds. I want to be able to shoot them at distance. So I think that's why that can of worms has not been fully explored or talked about is because there's not a there's less interest in it in general. Yeah. And what gets you more penetration? Like momentum. Correct. How do you enhance how do you capture carry more momentum? Better flight. Yeah. So um I think people should pay more attention to the flight characteristics. Yeah, when you start when you look at again, not to get down the, the, the physics stuff, when you start looking at those equations, there's only two ways you can possibly get more momentum. Because, again, going back to your bow, the amount of work there has a ceiling. I mean, you can do some things to make it a little more efficient, right? Yeah, but even then it's capped. Right. So there's a there's an ultimate ceiling. Most of us are shooting maybe 10% below that ceiling, let's say. Um, so the amount of work being applied to your shaft is – it's. I'm going to say it's a constant, even though it's not. Just, you know, take it for what it is. Um, that's fixed. So the only way to increase momentum is to add mass or allow your build to carry more velocity downrange. Like yep. Those are the only two ways it's possible. Yep. That's it. Lose less speed. Lose less speed. Yeah. Or so, add mass. Yep. And I want to address one argument that I saw on the YouTube comments on that micro diameter video. Um, one of the arguments was in the target world when people are shooting longbows and recurves, 166 rules the world. Mm-hmm. Well, that is true because of that force curve being applied to the arrow power stroke yeah. yep so in a recurve but if you're shooting a recurve high foc micro diameter shaft that is your best friend yeah there are two different set of rules there yep they don't translate no so uh keep that in mind if you're a trad guy and you're listening to this and you are you're getting ready to spit us out some mean stuff we understand that for trad bows it's a different can of worms we're talking modern compound bows, 80% let off and higher. So is there anything else that you can think of that um, relates to getting better flight characteristics from what George is talking about and uh, helping us as deer hunters? I I mean, outside of the arrows, it's, it's your bow. Making sure that your bow is properly set up. I mean, you and I both have mm-hmm. – I mean, I don't know how many bow techs have we ran through in the last – four years a lot a lot um and i ran into a like again last year going into my personal setup i go to one of our one of our buddies dan um dan bass awesome with bows um left there thought everything was good i start down the high foc thing and i left there and part of this is uh my ignorance on the subject but the ignorance on the subject what has now led me to being a hell of a lot more educated on it. Yep. But I left there, my bow was fine. 
when I started going down the the high FOC, bear shaft, Noctune, all that stuff, when I couldn't get those arrows to fly, my mind went, it's got to be the bow. Yep. My bow is jacked. Yep. Why is my bow jacked up? Take it to another dude. Looks at the bow. Said, well, you're out of adjustment. Will you rest? I can't do this. He's like, we're going to we're gonna have to put a shim in, 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 the, in the top cam. of the cam. We need to add some cam. Talk to another guy. Well, you don't have to put the shim in your cam. You can do some things with your roller guard and introduce some torque that way. <laughs> do that. Take it to a third guy. Third guy goes, dude, you just need to, you need to shoot uh, lighter points. Like you're underspined. So I dropped down to 75 points. All of a sudden, everything is kosher. Yeah. So making sure that your bow is properly tuned and knowing that before you get into the arrow stuff, I think pays giant freaking dividends because now but with your bow, there's a lot of variables. There's less variables probably with your arrow. If you know your bow's good, there's less things to worry about and you can focus on your arrows, yep. not your bow. Yeah. It's not always, not always the arrow. Look, look at the bow first. Right. I, I think uh, that process was like the most frustrating thing for you. It was, was like terrible. And I got to a point where I was like, Chad, just put veins on the arrow and shoot it. That's <laughs> ultimately what I did. Cause yeah. I, I, with a hundred grain broadhead, um, I couldn't get the arrows to do what I wanted them to do. Yep. So I just fletched them up and said, okay, this is, this is good enough. It's not perfect. But ultimately that was a good experience because it led me to, figure out why like what is going on like everyone else is doing this why isn't it working for me yep so having a critical mindset through all of this i think regardless of what you believe or what you want to shoot is is really important yeah i think uh i think that kind of covers everything that i wanted to cover and i think we did a, a decent job of explaining on a surface level what the heck's actually going on here and what why it matters so if you guys have any other questions for Chad or I, uh, you can find us on our social platforms. Hit us up on Facebook, Instagram. Uh, keep listening to the Deer Gear podcast, and Dorge is going to continue to drop some nuggets. And as Chad and I learn this stuff through listening to Dorge, uh, we'll probably do this again, talking about material properties, like titan- what does titanium do for your bow, um, we just did a podcast with Dorge on what does titanium do for your bow, but it's going to need some explaining. Yeah. So if you guys have any specific questions like that, make sure you are reaching out to me. We have some really, really, really exciting things coming down the pipeline. May is going to be a huge month for Exodus. We're all really excited about it. So with that being said, we'll catch you next time.